Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Dawn of Dragons, Season 2, Episode 8, The Deep King. Vix heard the gentle crunch of the autumn leaves beneath his feet, drifting across the smooth white marble of the stairs to the large pillared gazebo. The trees bent of their own accord towards the center, almost in reverence to the man sitting on the throne. He rose, his yellow robes cascading to the floor, gently revealing delicate golden embroidery that shrouds him in a gentle sunlight. There's no roof to the structure, only the cool autumn sky far above those tall treetops. You are an abomination to your people, he states through clenched teeth. You practice the magical arts, but at your heart are only footsteps from the dark path. For all intents, I should have you exiled. He smiles as he remembers his manners, politely pouring two goblets of sweet white wine. He smiles, passing one to Vix. But... Regaining his composure, he continues. Vix, there is a war coming. And I believe, despite all of your faults, you can still be a great asset to your people. I charge you to seek out a way to control their dragons. Do this and report back to me. Only then will I allow you to undergo your telling at the Ivory Library. I have heard of a competition taking place in a small barony to the north of here in a few days. Possibly this will put you and your cunning on the right path. His gaze and tone gets eerily serious. Those librarians are their own people. But I have kept my place among their council. And rest assured, they will not allow you through their gates unless I allow it. Vix's eyes narrowed, and in a shaking tone states, Yes, yes, Lord Hyro. Hyro turned away, looking out into the red and gold forest. Do not fail me or be discovered, for I cannot help you. He stands up and motions for the guards to lead him away. Vix? Huh? Yes? Vix looked around. The dream from last night was still haunting him. We were just talking about... Your friends were just saying, Space Case, that you may be familiar with this symbol. The King's Marshal held up a scrap of parchment, burned at one end with a dark red S-shaped symbol, was painted. Uh. He scanned the room, embarrassed at his drifting off. 
They stood in a granite chamber with a large map of the city on a dark wooden table. Torches lit the walls and the smell of a sweet oil was burning in the large ironwork brazier hanging by thick chains above their heads. Light shone through the iron framework and panes of thick glass that held the clear oil itself. Uh, yes. You look back at the symbol. It seems at first it is just a stylized S shape. But what concerns me is the five parallel lines cut downward. He pointed them out on the paper. Ending in arrowheads. That's usually one thing. That's a glyph of summoning. They all looked at each other uneasily. Where did you get this? It was found in the king's throne room. The paper style seems to predate my time as marshal. Cordelia stepped forward with a hand outstretched. May I? The marshal handed her the parchment. Cordelia passed a hand gently over it. The edges of the parchment glowed with a blue light. This is blood. But from about a quarter century ago. Has it been that long? What is it, Marshal? Many years ago, the king took a bride. She's different than most of us as she's a wizard. Keeps to herself. But I bet she knows what this means. She spun on her heels, snapping her fingers. That's it. Go to the keep. Find out from her what she knows. They all nodded. The guards are told to attack anyone crossing the bridge. They will move for you if you carry this emblem. She handed Zane a small 18-inch square of dark gray fabric with a pair of silver hammers embroidered with hair-thin steel thread. She turned on her heel to leave them, pausing at the door, looking over her armored shoulder. Please, bring us back our key. The smoke billowed up from the molten iron pouring 200 feet below the 60-foot-long, 10-foot-wide stone bridge they stood on. Scottmere knew without looking, and it was being funneled partially into the huge furnaces in the city behind them. Similar methods were used in the Garnet Mountains. He called home, but nothing this grandiose. Their minds were geared towards more of the rich gemstone deposits that riddled with gold and the occasional platinum veins. His people relied on trade for most of their raw iron. Well, seems we have a welcoming committee. Bendik gestured cautiously towards the five rows of dwarf infantry standing at attention on the other side of the bridge. An intimidating sight, to be sure. The helms only allowed the white beards and their red eyes to show across all 50 soldiers. Short fighting spears with broad bladed heads were held in one hand and tall square shields were secured to the other. Here goes nothing. Zane mumbled, taking out the cloth almost wincing behind it as it was displayed with two hands in front of him. The officer in the front rank stepped forward to the right standing 90 degrees from their path. Make way for the marshal's envoy. Zane looked back at Cordelia with a chuckle, now a cocky swagger in his step. <laughs> As he crossed the stony courtyard, the soldiers parted, allowing the group to enter. Jade looked behind her and saw the ranks close behind them as they walked. They were in perfect form, like the flow of a slow-moving rock slide. 
Upon reaching the 20-foot-tall twin doors, two guards worked a handwheel on either side which swung them open. allowing the group entry into the receiving hall of the keep. The hall was lit with large iron braziers, similar to the ones in the marshal's office, hanging from the sides of the 50-foot-tall pillars, holding up the domed stone ceiling. The main floor was wide, easily spanning the same space as it was tall. The burgundy and gold floor runner led up to a raised platform on which was two stone thrones side by side. Next to them was a podium draped in a red velvet cloth, something round hidden beneath. The air was slightly stale and musty, foreboding. Erlen saw the guards scattered in the hall look at each other with a look of concern. Their nervous shuffling and the thick plate reverberated in the hall dully. One of them pointed at Zane, more importantly, the small banner he carried. The smell of charcoal in the braziers reminded Scottmere of his home far away. A similar hall, too, he noted, just not as dark. The pillars of his home were encrusted with red gemstones and gilded with gold embellishments. The figures on the throne became more visible. The dark midnight blue hues of the king's robes cloaked his frail body his cheeks sunken, and the white whiskers of his chin sparse and wiry. The other figure sat in a black and red cloak, her hand on a bronze staff cresting in a dragon. At the foot of the stairs were the four king's guards, identifiable by a helmet adorned with three deep iron ridges sweeping back, coming together as a single wall, their spears together in unison. His royal majesty. The woman stood up and hissed. Sophie looked at the guards. You know you don't want to be here for this. Zane held up the banner defiantly. They lowered their spears and looked at each other. Then turned to the king and bowed before marching away in unison. Coward! Come back! She looked at the imposters. You, you worms have no idea who you are playing with. An unfamiliar pit churned in Benedict's stomach as he noticed the king was trembling in his throne, staring at the woman wide-eyed. Her hair was spun platinum, gracing her beautiful ash-gray face. Her red eyes began to glow, and they noticed her canines began to lengthen as she held her hands outstretched. Please, Sean, let us reason with you. Please don't do this to Stay down, guys. This is my fight now. They... Black, leathery wings sprouted from her back. <laughs> they cannot have you. We'll thing. The voice came to Zorin's mind directly, but he knew it was the gleaming sword at his side. He took a deep breath and drew the blade from the scabbard. She is deeply evil and not of this world, my love. But I can protect you. Zorin dropped into a defensive stance. The group noticing followed suit, drawing their weapons or readying their spells. She shrieked, and lightning 
forked from her hands at Sophie, Benedict, Zorin, and Scottmere. The smell of ozone ran into Zorin's nose as he stood bracing for the impact of the blast, which never came. He looked and saw Scottmere drop to a knee as Benedict and Sophie were blown backward, sliding on the stone floor. Vix and Cordelia both fired off six blue fiery bolts that slammed into Char's body, followed by a volley of well-placed arrows from Jade and Erlen's bowstrings. You dare to oppose me, mortals? Best Clapping her hands together, a thunder wave rocked out, knocking everyone to the ground, their ears ringing. Zorin saw Zane braced against the podium's wall below Shar, and out of sight in the shadows. He nodded at Zorin, his two orcish daggers drawn. Zorin knelt there for a moment. Get up. Go to her, my love. Zorin began to stand, only to be greeted by a blast of blue fire. <laughs> Char shrieked as the torrent hit Zorin only to be split around his body by the sword in his hands, glowing with holy radiance. What? It can't be! The king was at the shrouded podium, clutching the velvet drape. We must call Beryl! Yes, do it. Throwing off the cover revealed a black stone the size of a large melon. It seemed to rotate with a greenish-blue glow from deep within. Zorin froze in recognition. The king placed both hands on the stone, throwing his head back as a blast of energy filled his being. Erlen felt his heart clutch, freezing him in place. He couldn't take his eyes off the glowing stone. A deep thunderous reverb of giant wings thundered into the hall, deafening. A deep roar rolled through the hall as they all froze in place. A massive, gargantuan, serpentine form burst through the doors behind them, its deep green scales in contrast to the mustard yellow underbelly and webbing of its wings. Eighty feet, nose to tail, wingtip to wingtip, it struck horror into the hearts of the adventurers. No. Cordelia was racked with fear. The green dragons, they're, they're gone. Yes, driven from the forest they once ruled by their traitorous silver brothers and sisters. Char leaned over the railing at Cordelia. But they are with us now, the sunless. <laughs> the dragon crawled towards the podium, barely reaching the ceiling with its back. Hold me to your side, king of the Iron City. Kill them! Kill them! Kill them all! Yes, gladly. She slammed a claw into the stone, leaving a five-foot indentation where Benedict once was rolling out of its path. Beryl hissed, swinging its tail in a sweep. Down! Vix yelling, throwing both himself and Cordelia down, feeling the air move as it sailed barely overhead. Arrows flew from Jade as she deftly dodged another slam from the claw. 
Sophie struck out at its underbelly, driving the sword deep into its flesh. The dragon swung to his side, wrenching the blade free, sending both it and its owner sliding on the floor. You cannot leave. You will die here. Together. <laughs> Shar raised her hand, summoning a gale force wind, from her slamming into the party, who held onto the ground for all the strength they could muster. Behind the dragon, a rift opened up, showing a night sky swirling as it was framed in fire. My love, look at the king. Zorin saw a shape appear behind the king with two gleaming daggers out of the shadows. Zane struck the king down in a single blow, pushing him to the side. You deceiver! Zane drove the orcish blades into the stone. Sparks flew from the impact, sending Zane reeling back. The stone was completely unharmed. Zorin was shocked. Zorin, it is time. Send me to your friend. You cannot stop us! Jar shrieked as she stopped the gale. Beryl drew in a deep breath. Now, I will free you of this shadow world. Thorn winced slightly. Zane! Before casting the blade in a gleaming arc. Use this! To his best friend. Yeah! Zane grasped the hilt of the sword out of the air. Well, And brought it down. explosion of green light erupted in the room. Sophie felt herself tumbling, end over end, in the growing darkness, as everything went black. The King of the Grey Dwarves is played by Daniel French from Chronosphere Fiction Podcast and Fishbonius Sound Design. Beryl the Green Dragon is played by Piper Cleveland from the World Forge Podcast. Farrah Ironstone is played by Nikki Richardson from the Top of the Round Podcast. Random Dwarf Guards, voiced by Mike the DM from Tales of Asperon, the actual play podcast. The Sword is played by Haley Munoz. Zorin, played by Cody Miller. Shar is voiced by J.D. Rose. Sophie, played by Sarah Jenkins. Zane Shieldheart, played by Storm S. Cohn. Cordelia Shieldheart is played by Jolene Frescas. Benedict Shieldheart, played by Brian Dowling. Gottmere is played by Colton Jansen. Jade is voiced by Cara Danvers. This is Vix the Chaotic Gue, Sniveling Fools. Voiced by Daniel Nichols of the Happy Go Lucky Podcast. Lord Hyro, the Elven King, is voiced by Matthew Bianchi. And I am Mike Ashley, your narrator.
Please support our magnificent cast by visiting their projects in the show notes and telling a friend. This episode of Dice Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons is brought to you by our patrons, Haley Munoz, Corey Fouch, and Daniel Nichols. You too can join our Patreon program for exclusive art, video, and discussion about the show, even possibly joining in on a game. A detailed link is in the show notes or at Dice Tower Theater, that's spelled R-E, dot com. Also sponsored in part by Brave Adventurers, creators of printable paper miniatures, free online generators, and more to enhance your tabletop game. In June, their patrons will receive a printable fantasy chess set that's D&D compatible with the throne room battle map that doubles as a chessboard. Finally, to close as we're working on something very exciting together to be announced in the next few months. Tune in June 28th as the story continues. And remember the oath. An anthology of stories in a universe of universes. A podcast called Chronosphere Fiction. Immerse yourself in the worlds of Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished. Monday through Friday at the Smith's residence. Thicker than water. These and more are waiting for you on the podcast, Chronosphere Fiction. Hey guys, my name's Kenan. I'm the Dungeon Master of Top of the Round. We are an original and fully produced sandbox-style D&D 5e actual play podcast that prioritizes roleplay and storytelling. Come with us to Ishnar, a dark world filled with secrets, history, and lore. Wait, are people listening to us? Hi, people! Where are the people? I don't know. I don't see them. I don't see them either. People! Where are they? Oh my god, we have to find them! My crossbow is ready. Are you sure we need to find these people? Or will they find us? Show yourselves! I'm not sure how I know this, but you can find us where you find podcasts? Whatever those are. Mondays? What day is it? Don't know. Hi, I'm Mike, the storyteller from Tales of Asperon. On this clear night, you find yourself at a makeshift camp within the White Leaf Wood. Beside you, an older gentleman sits on a log with a book, writing of its own accord. The light from the stellar rings surrounding the planet bring a pleasant glow to this person's scarred face. This story is about four young folks who cross paths in the simple town of Homestead, on the frontiers of Asperon. Together, these kids save a poisoned man on the street, believing him to be a hero of sorts. Little did they know, this kindness would unravel their lives into a heap of trouble. You see... Asperon is filled with danger. The Heartlands will melt your body to its very bones and titanic beasts roam the jungles and forests. Though the frontier is the worst of all. It has no kings, queens, or country. Just people. People who will take whatever they want. The frontier, well, it's where heroes are forged. And I hope these kids have what it takes to make it through the fire. Hello, adventurers. If you enjoyed that preview of our 5th edition Real Play podcast, check out our website at www.toapodcast.com. You can also find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and most of the other free podcasting apps. Cassandra? Cassandra Cole? Welcome, both of you. You are the final two to arrive. I won't be gone long, and Aunt Nani needs your help. Promise me you'll be helpful. Hello? Is 
Anyone there? <laughs> Screechers? The family reputation is at stake, son. The visual arts may lack relevance. Wait, what is that? Governor's School for the Arts at Walnut Grove. The Happy Go Lucky Podcast, producers of Charlie Saves Christmas, bring you our next heartwarming adventure, Cassie and the Spectral Shade. Don't you remember what it was like to be 17? It turns out you're quite pretty, and it wouldn't hurt for people to see me walking in with you. Good for you, Judy. Cut, cut. That was ghastly. Dreadful. I want you to go through it again. This time make me feel something. You'd think that if I could dream the same thing over and over, that eventually I'd figure out how to control it better than this. Seeing every moment, keeping them like diamonds locked away with you. Sorry about that, but you'll find that Walgrove has a thing for dreadful terms. Fair and warm, lone traveler. Come, rest that I your wounds may bind. If my reputation is based on the company I keep, I suppose I'm better off heading in on my own. Please join your fellow first years in the Great Hall, where the staff and faculty have prepared a lovely reception for you. And you can call me Cassie. Cassie Cole. Sorry I didn't mention it earlier.